We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're reviewing week seven, looking forward to week eight, and helping you to manage your fantasy teams on Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by my bookie. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. We had the first London game of the season today. Matt, what's your take on the London games? Do you like them or do you wish that they did not happen? Uh, point of order. This is actually the second one. Last week there was one, um, but it was during the main slate, so it it wasn't like an island London. Game. That's right. So it kind of That's like blended in. But yeah, this was the first one that we had in the morning uh, this year. Um, totally screwed me. I forgot about it, and uh, so like I didn't. Um, I had the night before. I had set uh, like Fantasy Pros rankings and stuff, but I kind of I forgot about the. Um, the Melvin Gordon uncertainty. Uh, so that totally screwed me up. So uh hate the London game. Although from a betting perspective, I kind of, uh, I like the London game in that. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know if these trends really are going to be sustainable long-term, but uh, the London game has some like pretty decent trends in terms of like uh, the favorite uh, really tending to cover a majority of the time and uh, the over tending to hit. Anyway, so like I like the London game in theory. I just don't like what it did to me this weekend. Yeah, well, I also don't like how it kind of removes certain players, I think, from consideration in a given week because I'm very hesitant to play them in that London game because I feel like it's very challenging to anticipate exactly how things are going to play out. There's a lot of you know, uh, different factors that you have going in into that game that are hard to consider. So I tend to stay away from it. So if you have, for example, Deion Lewis... And you put him on your bench, and he has his first good game in a long time, you're going to end up very upset. So that that's my take on that. Quick note, I am on vacation this week, so I'm recording this uh, not back in the studio. We're not going to have the drops this week, but we will press on nonetheless. Let's get into it. Little Lebowski, Urban Overachievers of the Week, Carry on Johnson, <laughs> 19 rushes, 158 yards, 3 targets, 2 wrecks for 20 points. We also saw like Garrett Blunt with couple of long runs as well. So is this a good sign for carry on? Or do you think this was really just situational based in this matchup? 
Uh, I think it's a good sign for him. Um, part of it is that he played a higher percentage of snaps than he normally does, uh, in part because Theo Riddick is out. Um, so that was you know something obviously that benefited him, uh, and he was able to get a little more work in the passing game. So uh, yeah, but I think in general, like we've been able to see for the past month or so, he's clearly the most talented back on that team. Um, he's not getting uh, the goal line usage, which is unfortunate. But he clearly is uh, like the best back now and for the future. So I would I would imagine that he continues to get more work as the season progresses. Yeah, and we've talked about him a couple of times on the show before, but I felt like it was worth bringing up again because this was a very, very positive performance. And I think it's clear now that I was way too low on Johnson. I think other people out there in the industry were as well. Kind of collectively, we were. But I think his stock is still going to be, from a dynasty perspective, somewhat suppressed because he's still in that time split and you can't rely on him every week in redraft. But if you're looking to go out and acquire a back on the cheap for dynasty, I think he might be one of the best options right now. Yeah, I I would disagree in that I think it's impossible to get him right now. I think whoever has him used a first round pick on him to get him. And they know that he's a 21-year-old guy who was awesome last year. Um, they're not going to part with him, especially now that he's coming off of like his best performance as a pro and like he's starting to ascend. Like you like the market, I think, if anything, might be inflated on him just because whoever has him is going to value him a lot. Yeah, I think that okay, all right. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. So perhaps you keep him in the back of your mind, and if things don't work out for the rest of the season, then you go back to him. I think yeah, that's a that fair point. I think is actually the, the way to go. If he if he tanks, like you know long term he's the guy there. But if in the short term you see Blunt scoring a lot of touchdowns, Theo Riddick comes back and steals some snaps and gets a lot of action in the passing game, and Johnson is just kind of reduced to this temporary third wheel, then I think that's the time to try to go get him. Right. Michael Roberts, three targets, three receptions, 100 yards, and two touchdowns. This is certainly a performance no one saw coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no idea what to say. Um, I mean, I guess he's the guy uh, for tight ends there in Detroit, but um, I mean, we don't really know. Like, this is like a, a blip. Sometimes there are these games where tight ends come out of nowhere, and because it is such a touchdown-driven position, um, if a guy gets multiple touchdowns, he has like the best week uh, or the best performance on the week, and that's that's Roberts this week. But I don't know if there's anything that we can take away from this um, because they have three other really good pass catchers there who are receivers, and then when Riddick comes back, they have a really good pass catching back as well. So like, I don't know if this is anything we should really buy into. Like, I mean, I mean if he's on waivers and you you need a tight end, then great, I guess add him. But like. I don't see him being an integrated part of this passing offense moving forward. Right, especially when you consider that he had the three targets today prior to this game. We haven't seen very much, and like you said, there's so much talent elsewhere in that offense that even if he does have a proclivity for catching passes in the end zone, there's still a couple of other looks that they would go to first. Uh, Another name that I don't think we've mentioned at all this season but had his first or maybe not first, but another solid performance today. We haven't seen too much from him. That's Danny Amendola, six of seven targets, 84 yards, a touchdown, 20 and a half points. Uh, unfortunately for my Kenny Stills shares, he has really not shined too much this season. It's kind of been uh, weekly dependent on who the guy is. So Amendola today, do you see anything for him in the future? Or is this really just a one week blip? Uh, it's, so I think it's kind of a one week blip in that, um, week to week, you never really know who is going to be the guy getting the production, but he is their primary slot receiver. And actually like the majority of their passing touchdowns have come from the slot. It's just been other guys playing in the slot, getting touchdowns on those plays. Um, so like stills, uh, and Wilson, most of their touchdowns have been out of the slot. Uh, but, you know, so Amendola, like, he's the main slot guy. He was getting a lot of uh, the usage there this week. Um, I think it's, I, I think you can count on him getting the majority of the slot snaps in any week and the majority of the slot targets, and you can count on them prioritizing the slot. That said, like, his upside is still not that high. So uh, I think, like, what we saw was sort of the extreme version of what Amendola can be in any given week. But like normally this would be closer to, let's say like 50 yards and 0.3 touchdowns per game. 
Yeah, and, and let's say that uh, I believe I've seen that the Cowboys are interested in Parker and Calvin Benjamin. If Parker leaves the team, does that have any boost to uh, Amendola or anybody else in Miami? No, because uh, Parker's hardly playing anyway. Right. I just kind of wanted to toss out another way to take a uh, cheap shot at uh, Devontae Parker. Although, I will, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Kevin White caught that Hail Mary at the end of the uh, Patriots-Bears game, and I thought that's probably going to be the last time that we would ever have an opportunity to mention Kevin White, so I think we will bury him. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, yeah, Devontae Parker uh, has been so disappointing from a dynasty perspective. Like, I don't, I don't even have him in a dynasty team, and I'm still disappointed with him. Oh, yeah. Like, he was basically an A.J. Green doppelganger. Like, I, I thought that's who he was going to be, and he just hasn't been able to put it together. Right. All right. Another receiver that was a big name coming out of school that has had a couple of great games here and there, started off the season hot. I kind of think the offense that he's in right now is just really limiting him, and that's Corey Davis. Today, just seven targets, three wrecks, 10 yards for a total of four points he has really fallen off. There's so many questions in Tennessee. Can Davis recover this season? And the broader implications of what we've seen with the style of play Tennessee has had this season, his dynasty stock, where do you place it? Yeah. Um, so I think this season is pretty much a lost season uh, for that offense in general. I don't know if it's going to get better, um, but I like Corey Davis still like he's still getting um, the majority. Well, not the majority, but like a, a, a large portion of targets there. Um, he's a very talented guy just based on draft pedigree, uh, you know, his physical profile and what he did in college. His draft stock is tanking. He is someone I would really like to try to acquire. That, that definitely makes sense. Uh, although I will say I do kind of worry about things translating uh, from this season, or not translating, but things carrying from this season into next season. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's he's got, uh, at this point now, basically like one and a half seasons of nothing. Um, that's really disconcerting for a guy to be going into his third year uh, with really nothing good to show for, except, you know, like flashes. So yeah, it's 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 worrisome. But if you can get him on the cheap, then it's worth it because he's all upside. Absolutely. Now, it's hard to believe we have not mentioned Kyle Rudolph. I don't even know if we brought him up really at all in the summer. Now, some of that is because Thielen has just been so incredible. Diggs has been solid. There's the two running backs there. We've seen Latavius Murray starting to get it to go. I guess the question becomes, maybe not even so much on Rudolph, but do you think that there's any room in that offense for anyone other than whoever's the running back? on that given week and Thielen and Diggs? Uh, I mean, there's, yeah, there's room, but like Rudolph has a very specific role. Like he is their red zone touchdown guy. Like he leads the team in, uh, in red zone targets and touchdowns, uh, touchdowns receiving over the past three years. And like, that's, that is his role, but he's being used less in that role than he has been previously. So he's on the decline. They don't really look for him as someone uh, like between the twenties. He's basically just like a red zone specialist. So uh, I don't think it's a great situation for him. Like in, like to put this in a DFS perspective um, this week, he was the cheapest he's been in a year, like, like precisely a year since week seven of last year. And uh, salaries haven't been released yet. As we are recording this, I bet he's even cheaper this week. Wow, Matt, that's a great stat. Um, Peyton Barber, <laughs> I know we've mentioned before that there's the idea that he's the lead back, <laughs> so those are still valuable touches today. Just 11, car or 11 carries that's not really that shabby, but just 30 yards, produced three points, whereas Ronald Jones comes in, finds the end zone, gets closer to 10 points. Can we give up on Barber now? No. I don't, I don't think we can, um, because even as bad as he was, uh, if you discount the touchdown and I know like maybe you shouldn't discount the touchdown, but touchdowns are very random. Like on a per touch basis, he was still like more efficient than Ronald Jones and, and Jones got only six touches. He's still on a team that is scoring a lot of points. Um, you know, a, a tougher matchup like the Browns, they're not great on defense, but they're much better than they were last year. Um, yeah, he's still like the lead back on a high scoring team. You know, like you can't turn your back on that guy. I think you just maybe you have to strategically play him whenever he's in a good situation. Like last week uh, against Atlanta, that was, I think, a clear spot to play him um, this week. Not so much. So I think you just hold him 
you're not going to get anything for him if you have him and you try to trade him. Um, so, I mean, I think you just hold him and you strategically uh, start him whenever he's in a good situation. I think that I'm on board with that because it goes back to the concept that we talk about at least once every week, which is if you look to the waiver wire, there's very few guys that you can find that are going to have any possibility of finding themselves in a situation where they're going to be that lead back. I would be very hesitant to play him. Even if my team needed a running back, I think like you said, it's really going to come down to the situation and finding the right context to play him in. Um, you know, although I do think it's starting to get a little, <laughs> little, uh, harder to drop him into your lineup but nonetheless i mean i think it it, you still might want to hold him unless there's somebody that looks like a must add that's out there if you have him or if you just need to make that space for your team in a given week i mean so much of running back production is based on the opportunity that a guy has and there is no one on waivers uh in most leagues who you can lock in for 10 touches per game the way you can for Barber. So, like, look at it this way. If at the end of the season, Barber has had, um, let's say, like, six games where he is, like, fantasy viable, like someone who could have been in your lineup or should have been in your lineup just in terms of, like, raw production, like, that wouldn't be surprising because he's getting the, like, the requisite number of carries. So there, I, there's no way you can drop him if you have him. You just have to suck it up and and hope he improves. Yeah, I think that we keep bringing this up because it does drive home like a larger lesson of managing a fantasy team, which is there's a lot of variance in in week to week. There's variance throughout the season. But if you go down the avenue of chasing the opportunity, chasing the expected points, which he's actually been okay in expected points because he does have that lead back role. And as you said, he's in an offense that does score points. There's so much signal there that eventually it should correct that you're not really making the wrong decision if you hold on to him. You're just hitting the bad side of the variance in this particular situation. But in the long term, I do think holding on to the guys like Barber is probably the way to go. The Joe Devola crazy stat of the week. I did not have much time as we should probably mention we're recording this during the Sunday night game, which is different than our normal approach, which is to do it during the Monday night game. So we're not going to have much to talk about in the Kansas City Cincinnati game. Uh, but the stat for this week, I saw this on Roto World to actually Todd Gurley with 14 touchdowns through the first seven games ties Priest Holmes for the most touchdowns through the first seven games in NFL history. So my question, Matt, I think that if you're Looking forward to the 2019 season, Todd Gurley has to be the number one overall pick. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he pretty much was the number one overall pick uh, this year. Um, so, yeah, I think he's locked in. Uh, on Twitter this past weekend, I, I posted a poll asking, who is more uh, irreplaceable on that offense? Is it Gurley or is it Goff? And uh, I, I would need to look back, but overwhelmingly, uh, people thought that Gurley was the more valuable player of the two on that offense. And like, even though we are in a passing league, um, so like, like part of me is like, oh, it's clearly the quarterback. Quarterback is most important. But like the way they use Gurley is like in such a, a multifaceted way um, that uh, I, I don't know. Like it's possible that Gurley is more important to that offense. Like league average quarterback can maybe do what Goff does. But I don't think there are many running backs who could do what Gurley does in that offense. Right. He's such a complete back and there's so many different ways that they can use him that not only is it helping out the offense as a whole, but I have to imagine in some level it's taking off some of the pressure on Goff and allowing him to do some things that he would not be able to do if they had a replacement level back in there. And I also think... If you're looking for quarterbacks that can do what Goff can do across the league, there actually might be more that match him stride for stride than running backs that can fill in that role for Gurley. Because I do believe that he is a cut above the rest and there may be only one or two players being Le'Veon Bell and Saquon Barkley that can kind of match him for that varied but very strong skill set. Yeah, uh, totally agree. All right, players trending up. Tyrell Williams, 118 yards in back-to-back weeks. That was 118 yards last week, 118 yards this week. Three touchdowns, 49 points last week. It looked like it might just be kind of a surprise. Something that wouldn't repeat itself happens again. 
Although we should probably mention it's been on very on a very low amount of targets. So are you buying Tyrell Williams moving forward? Or do you think that these just two these are gonna be the two best weeks for him in the season? It's gonna drop off from here. Yeah, I think he will probably have another couple of weeks of like peak production like this, but you won't be able to anticipate when they happen. You know, it'll just be like, oh, this is the random week in which he has like 97 yards and a touchdown. Um, like that's coming. You just you don't know when it is. So if you start him, you have to just sort of accept that he's that boomer bust type of guy um, because usage is very split on that team uh, between the two backs. And then also, you know, they have like three receivers who are pretty good. And then they also have Travis Benjamin uh, coming back who will, you know, siphon off a couple of targets per game. And like that means something when uh, you're splitting that between three guys who are all pretty good. So, I mean, he's he's an explosive guy, super talented. You just won't be able to anticipate when those bust out games happen. Right. And we should also probably point out too that Melvin Gordon was out today, which though he's not a receiver, he does get a fair amount of targets. And that really could have changed the way that the game yeah. went. So you might not see Williams hitting his high end variance with now three touchdowns on a very low amount of targets for that touchdown number. Uh, so I do think he's the type of player that's not uh, a bad thing to try to get on your roster if he's available, but you're going to have to be smart about when you play him. He's not going to be a plug-and-play type of guy. Capri Bibbs. Today, just two attempts, five targets, 43 yards, but a receiving touchdown, but I think he's worth bringing into the conversation because you have Chris Thompson out He's been struggling to stay healthy, wasn't healthy going into the season. Adrian Peterson, older back, he's banged up. I think that he's one of those guys that he's available. You should probably add because he can very easily get himself into opportunity and he already is making the best of the opportunity that he's seeing. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gibbs? Yeah. Are you on board with me? Yeah, I agree. I think he's a good speculation ad um, because as you mentioned, uh, he is behind two guys uh, who have some health issues. Uh, when we've seen him get opportunities in the past, uh, he's he's been like at worst serviceable. And like he was actually a pretty good college player and he's like a three down guy. He's capable of serving a pass catching role. So regardless of how it is that he gets slotted into the offense, uh, I think he could do whatever it is that they want him to do. Maybe he doesn't do it at a high level, but he's able to do it. And as long as he's getting the volume, like that's what matters. Absolutely. Now, another running back in a somewhat similar situation, you have Raheem Mostert of the 49ers. Matt Breda today was in and out of the game, was a questionable player last week. He ended up getting heavily involved, had 12 carries last week. Today he had four targets, or four targets last week. Today he had um, not, or excuse me. Yeah, four targets this, yeah, four targets this week. Uh, yeah, seven carries. Right. So that was nine fantasy points last week 12 this week now for a player like Mostert that's a great result and with Alfred Morris not really producing and some health issues with the other back there in San Francisco I think he becomes a real option yeah he's he's an intriguing guy uh whenever he's gotten his opportunities he's made the most of them um so yeah if he's out there I think he's a great speculation ad all right three players on the decline Blake Bortles (laughs) <laughs> gets benched today. Uh, Cody Kessler comes in for Jacksonville. Uh, maybe not even just in a fantasy context, but from an NFL perspective here, do you think the days of Blake Bortles as a starting quarterback are starting to run thin? I think that what we saw today was more just a frustration of this team just not living up to expectations, and it's not all Bortles. Um, but obviously this team has to make a change. Yeah, I mean, I think like the days of him as a starting quarterback have been running thin for years. Um, it's just he's been able to survive. And uh, I mean, I don't really, I, I don't know. I think it's just, it's so hard to find a franchise quarterback um, that like you can sort of, if you're a decision maker and you're like sort of like conservative play caller, you know, you really try to control things. I can see how you can talk yourself into thinking, well, if we can just limit Bortles, it's better to go with him, you know, like with someone who's here in the system, knows the team, knows the players. Maybe we can just limit the damage he does. Like that might be, and then they can look and be like, you know what? We were so close to making the Super Bowl last year. Uh, why would we blow that up? 
Uh, let's just run it back with him again. But like he leads the league in interceptions, like since the moment he became an NFL quarterback, like that's just not sustainable. Um, and it's not like the good type of like, cause behind him on, on, in that period of time is like Ben Roethlisberger. So it's not like, it's like he leads the league in interceptions, but he's like throwing it down the field. He's making a lot of explosive plays. It's like he leads the league in interceptions and they're trying to bottle him up. Like they're trying, like he's doing that while they are trying to limit the extent to which he's shooting them in the feet. So, um, yeah, I think he's, he's not done right now. Like he's still going to get some starts, but, um, he's clearly not the answer in Jacksonville. Yeah. I, I, one point that you touched upon there too. Uh, I do think that sometimes throwing picks can be indicative of a good aggressive type of style, making sure that you're trying to take shots, get those important plays that you need at the right time. But in the case of Bortles, it's never really in the case where, uh, they're coming on plays that could be positive. If you make enough of them, you know, net positive. Now, as, as you're talking about that, I think about it, and what's come to me is even if we don't see Bortles starting in Jacksonville, I expect that what we're going to see is him go to another one of these teams that when they need a quarterback, they look for somebody that's done it and they try to go that avenue. We see teams do this with head coaches. <laughs> interesting. Right. Yeah. We see teams. It, it's interesting. I've heard a parallel made, which is lots of times uh, you see it in college and in the pros, teams will just hire a coach if they have experience. It doesn't matter if it was positive or negative. And you actually see this in companies where you can have a CEO is at a company that's struggling, doing very poorly, more or less gets kicked out of the company. And then you see another company pick them up because, oh, they're a CEO, they have that experience. Even though we often see that if somebody has a poor track record at one level, it carries on with them. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if the Jaguars move on from Bortles. You know, he was a starter. Another team takes a chance at him. That organization tries to get excited. Then about three, four weeks in, they realize that they made a terrible mistake. Yeah. Cody Kessler, I think, is actually interesting. Like he's not a uh, really like aggressive passer. But as a rookie with the Browns in a horrible situation, he actually did much better from like an efficiency, like uh, adjusted yards uh, per attempt perspective um, than a lot of rookie quarterbacks tend to do. Um, so like, I don't know. I, I think he could, I think there's a chance he's better than Bortles within that offense. Well, I do remember after his first season, we actually had a lot of articles up on the site that were very positive. If you looked at Kessler's comps through his rookie season, they were actually considerably decent much better yeah. than you would have expected. So uh, that that's interesting. We'll have to see how they move on. Uh, Marvin Jones, he's had health issues, missed last week, uh, but, or wait, were the Lions on bye last week? They were on They were on, they were on, they were on bye, okay. So I think he actually hasn't missed any games, but in the last three that he's played, he's gone under seven points. Since week three, he hasn't gone over six targets. Clearly, Galladay has been moved ahead of him in that offense, Tate's ahead of him. At this point, does Jones have much value? Yeah, he does. It's it's a weird situation in that, um, so I was looking at him before this week, and so in terms of air yards per game, he was pacing exactly the same as he did last year, maybe like one yard less, but it was like over 100, or like right around 100 air yards per game, and then um, an A dot that was basically the same. Um, and then... Uh, he was, I believe, like top five entering this week uh, in uh, targets in the end zone. So like that's kind of his role is like the big play explosive guy who doesn't get a lot of targets, um, but gets like high leverage targets down the field and uh, in the end zone. Um, so that's kind of hard to rely on, but it means that there will be like those splash weeks. Um, so and then obviously like his splits with, with Galladay, that's also the big thing. He had five games last year without Galladay and a lot of his production came in those five games. So with Galladay, he's just not going to, to get like the raw number of targets that you need for him to be reliable, but he's still being used in a big play way that uh, like will produce points. It'll just like, they will be very hit or miss. Right. And it's probably worth noting too that Detroit does play a favorable schedule moving forward. A lot of teams that are 17 or higher does have a tough playoff schedule. Uh, but I think that if I'm a Jones owner, 
I might not be starting him every week, but I'm keeping him on my team because if you do find yourself in a position where you need that fill-in, it's going to be hard to find a player that has more upside than Jones and that does have a baseline level of targets. He is the number three in that offense right now, but if there is you know, maybe five or six off. If there are five or six offenses that can support three receivers, I think it's possible that the Lions are one of them. Duke Johnson. We're going to talk about the big trade in a couple of minutes, but Duke Johnson had a decent game last week, but now even with Hyde gone, just one rushing attempt, four targets this week, not a lot of points, no touchdowns on the season. Duke Johnson Are there any big games in the tank left for him this season, even any moderate performances? If you're playing DFS, is he even an option? Uh, Yeah, I mean, this week he was actually a really intriguing option as a leverage play on Chubb um, because Chubb was just, he was going to have high ownership uh, given that he was so cheap and he was locked into the starting role. Um, So yeah, he had like uh, DFS functionality this week as a leverage play, but in general, no, he doesn't have any functionality. And like the, um, there was almost like this assumption this week that with, uh, the trade of Carlos Hyde, Johnson was going to be someone who really benefited from that. And I wasn't ever really sure about like the total logic of that. Um, because like he's been locked into his role. Um, this was basically going to be like a hundred percent of a transferal of touches from Hyde to, to Chubb. Um, I didn't know why it really had to mean something was going to change for Duke Johnson. And like, you know, we didn't see a change. Like there was no change. So uh, I don't I don't think Johnson is someone um, to have much of an interest in. I'm exactly on the same page with you. And I saw people trying to make this a positive for Johnson. But to me, it really came back to if they hadn't made a point to get him involved in some type of creative way before. What reason do they have for that now, especially if they do believe that Chubb is explosive enough of a rusher and a player that can take over that role shipping off Hyde? Perhaps you think that some of the targets that were going Hyde's way could move over to Johnson, but it didn't really add up to me. And they do have enough players that have been benefiting from Mayfield coming in, uh, such as David Njoku, Antonio Callaway has been getting a lot of targets that it just didn't add up for me. I think at this point you could drop Duke Johnson. And if you're hearing talk of going after Johnson, I would heavily, heavily recommend avoiding taking that advice. Uh, Matt, I forgot to look them up this morning. I did not have the time, but how did you do in the fantasy betting props this week? Um, I'm still kind of waiting to see. Um, okay, not great. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'm looking now, one of the, I didn't have a good uh, good week on the NASCAR props, which is like I'm I'm so degenerate that I'm betting NASCAR props. Uh, the other props I was positive on, positive on NBA and positive on NFL. So uh, decent there, just um, didn't have a, a great week. Wait a second, NASCAR you're props. playing NBA props. How much do you know about? Well, I'm assuming you must edit NBA pieces enough that you have some working knowledge. Uh, I will freely admit that I know basically nothing about NBA. I I know the names of players on teams, um, but that's basically just because I'm betting their props so much. Um, I'm I'm using I'm using the projections uh, that that we have at Fantasy Labs, um, and I'm doing well. So you know, like, and part of it, it's just like I I mean, I trust the numbers. Um, because our guys who do the projections, Sean Corner helps with them, but really uh, the projections are managed uh, by Justin Fan uh, and, and Jay Pearson. Uh, and those two guys are like totally on top of both the process of, of how to do the projections and then also the news with NBA, which is really important. Um, because, like, you know, if someone is scratched, that really changes the rotation, that changes the minute distribution. Um, so, like, I'm I'm aware of how meticulous they are. So I trust their projections. Um, And then once you have the projections, it's just a matter of kind of like doing the gambling math of thinking of like, okay, this is the line. This is the juice. This is our projection. um, This is the amount that I'm willing to bet on it. So uh, like, yeah, I I know nothing about NBA, but NBA has been going for a week. It's been a really great week for me. I'm sure that's going to change at some point as just lines become sharper and and there's more data out there. Um, But uh, yeah, so decent and, and, you know, the aggregate 
uh, decent day, just uh, brought down by NASCAR action. All right. Well, this brings up so many questions for me um, that we might talk about on the show and some that we will probably talk about off of the air. But a reminder, if you want to get in on that fantasy betting action, uh, make the games more entertaining. We've been talking about this all season, but whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. You can bet a little, win a lot. Uh, it's like roulette. You can create a big parlay, pick three teams to win. If you hit all three, you could turn $100 into 600 As you know, Matt and I really like playing those fantasy props. That can be very lucrative, uh, especially if you're listening to the show. If you're checking out our content, you know what you're doing. You will make the most of those. Uh, also, you still have the World Series on the way. Hockey starting up. NBA, a lot of action out there. Uh, we recommend these guys because we trust them. My bookie has been in the business for years. They've got great online reviews. Their mobile site is awesome. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get into the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they will be pulling that offer. And remember, we're now nearly at the halfway point in the season. So if you've been thinking about it, it's going to make the most sense to get in on that offer now. And they will be pulling it. So you definitely want to check that out. Log into my bookie right now and double your money. Use the promo code ROTOVIZ and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's promo code ROTOVIZ. You play, you win, you get paid. And we're doing things a little out of order this episode. I forgot to mention it, but... Make sure that you go and you check out uh, Rotoviz Radio on Patreon. Get access to that live show. Support all of the great podcasts that are coming out and all of the work that we do. And get that uh, 30% off listener discount to Rotoviz, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. All right, Matt, moving along. We're work as it's Sunday night. I still have not updated my model, so we're working off of. Last week's information here, but it should hold. Top three units with favorable upcoming schedules. It's interesting that we mentioned Raheem Mostert earlier. San Francisco plays one of the most favorable running back schedules in the coming three weeks. They have Arizona, who ranks 32nd next week. Tough game at Oakland in week nine, but then they have the Giants in week 10. The Giants are 23rd. Could be two good spots to use him. Uh, uh, the Miami... Wide receivers, talked about Amendola earlier. They have Houston ranks 25th, the Jets who rank 26th, and Green Bay who rank 30. So there might be some options for you in the Miami receiving core. And then Chicago, the Jets 20, who are ranked 26th next week, followed by Buffalo, a game you're probably going to want to avoid. And then Detroit, uh, who ranks 22nd in week 10. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Teams with the most difficult upcoming schedules, the Philadelphia running backs. Uh, Corey Clement had a rough game today, I believe. They have Jacksonville ranked second next week, then they're on bye, but then they have Dallas, who's 16, and then New Orleans, who's six. So if you were hoping that you could benefit from the Jay Ajayi injury, it's looking like that might be tough. San Francisco wide receivers, not sure uh, how in demand they are, but they have Arizona next week, who ranks fifth. Oakland, who ranks 15th, and then the Giants, who rank 4th, and the Washington wide receivers. I could see how you might think if you need a fill-in, you could look to Washington as they have a couple of guys that have had points or stretches where they've been good, but might be available. Uh, however, they have the Giants ranked 4th, Atlanta ranks 14th, but in Week 10, they face Tampa Bay, so they might become usable then. So if you really want to uh, get tricky with your lives, perhaps next week you look ahead and you add uh, maybe Dachshund, Crowder might even be available, uh, or Richardson. All right, Matt, the segment that everybody has been waiting for, the most <laughs> in-demand segment in all of fantasy radio, who is your number one waiver priority? Well, it's obviously the segment for which the most uh, research is done. Also, um, let's see. So uh, two guys I'm going to talk about. So tight end is a super thin position and it's going to be even thinner uh, in the coming weeks with more teams going on by. And uh, Chris Herndon with the Jets uh, is someone who's pretty intriguing in that the Jets are having uh, wide receiver issues right now. Uh, they cut Terrell Pryor because of a, an injury. Um, Quincy Anunua is out for at least the next couple of weeks. 
probably a little bit longer than that. Um, and they don't really have uh, any other player at the tight end position who can challenge Herndon, uh, who was a good college player. Um, didn't, I believe, do much in the combine because of an injury. Um, but uh, he's athletic, he's big, and um, you know he's a rookie tight end who's kind of flying under the radar. Um, but he's had two good back-to-back games. Uh, so I think like, I don't want to say like we're chasing the points, but like we are seeing, um, that when he's been given volume, he can produce. And I think we can project that volume to continue, uh, just because of the, the, the target vacuum that they have there in New Jersey right now. So, uh, at the tight end position, uh, he's, you know, kind of deeper, but he's someone who is really interesting to me. And I could see like what we've seen out of him the past two weeks continue moving forward. And then, um, at wide receiver, so, and I guess I should just say like blanket statement, like running backs, if there were like any of like the starting running backs who are out there who just got dropped uh, because some owner was losing patience, like whoever that is, if that's Peyton Barber, if that's Dion Lewis, you know, whoever, like that's someone obviously to roster. Um, at wide receiver, uh, someone who is intriguing to me, and this is kind of like a, a deeper thing, is Cortland Sutton. Um He's available in a lot of leagues just because his usage has been kind of inconsistent. Um, but I think he's like the future uh, number one receiver in that offense. And there is speculation that uh, either Demarius Thomas or Manuel Sanders, maybe both, uh, could be traded because it's it's clearly a rebuild situation uh, going on in Denver. Um, there's talk that they could start Chad Kelly at some point uh, because Case Keenum, you know, clearly isn't the long-term answer there. Um, so Sutton, I think he's already getting a lot of action. Uh, let me rephrase that. He's getting a lot of snaps. He's running a lot of routes as the number three receiver. They are looking for him in the red zone and his usage, I think, could just explode if there's an injury to one of the guys in front of him or if there's a trade. And I think the odds of like one of those things happening is pretty decent, uh, just kind of however it is that it works out. So Sutton, I think, could be someone who really has a pretty big second half of the season. I, I like that. I think that's a solid uh, recommendation. And I, I have read those reports as well. And I do think that they make some sense. I've liked Sutton so far as well, too. I, I see a good future for him. So um, even if it's not today, I think at some point, uh, he's going to be the main guy in that offense. Fantasy games of the upcoming week. We have a great game next week, the Sunday nighter with the New Orleans Saints facing the Vikings in Minnesota right now. Uh, the Vikings look like a one-point favorite. Uh, I'll let you talk about that game quickly first, Matt. Uh, wh- what do you think of that spread? Uh, okay, just looking at that. Um, yeah, so I think we're recording this, as you mentioned, on, on Sunday night. So lines have just been released, and uh, they could move pretty quickly just based on the early betting. Um, I... Yeah, I think that's probably about right, but I I like the Saints in that matchup. Um, they're I think they're just playing at a really high level right now, and I think their their defense is starting to round into form a little bit. Not that like it's elite, but that it's just it's becoming less of uh, a liability. So as long as like they have an offense that can score, uh, and and they're playing in a dome in in this in this uh, upcoming game which so even though they're on a road they're still in a dome which I think is important for Breeze um so I I think it's a pretty good situation for them so I would take the Saints gosh this would be a really tough one I'm not I don't even really have a gut feeling about which way I'm leaning uh but I do think from a fantasy perspective this is going to be an awesome awesome game the second oh yeah. yeah 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 second best game of the week that I could find and just to, to add some uh, kind of context on this, uh, Thielen now has, uh, he had another 100-yard receiving game, which was like one of, it was entirely predictable given that the one-on-one matchup he had uh, against a quarterback in the slot was like one of the best matchups of the week. He has another fantastic matchup in the slot this week against uh, Saints slot cornerback PJ Williams, who uh, has, at least entering week six, had, I believe, the lowest PFF coverage grade among all starting cornerbacks. So it's just like another smash spot for Thielen. So, uh, I, I mean, just like I, this streak of 100-yard receiving games, like it's crazy to to bet on it, but at the same time, it's crazy to bet against it given um, the usage that he's 
that he's getting and the matchups that he's getting uh, because each week he's running, you know, like 60 to 70% of his routes against the weakest uh, cornerback on a team. So it's just a great situation for him. Yeah. And also they have the easiest schedule in the next three weeks, which I didn't even mention because I mean, obviously everybody has Thielen and Diggs and I'm not sure if there's anybody else you're going to want in that passing game, but they have new Orleans then Detroit ranks 22nd, then on by then Chicago ranks 20 green Bay, 30 new England, 28 Seattle ranks six, but then Miami 27 Detroit 22 and Chicago 20. That's through week 17. So <laughs> like when, when comes the time when we start talking about like the, like him breaking the yardage season record, um, because like there's already talk of him doing it for uh, receptions like that that legitimately could happen because he's just getting so many targets. Um, but like it could happen for the yardage. Um, it's like it's within his reach if he like every week is just getting like 90 to 120 like receiving yards per game. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was going to raise a similar question and to put things even um, into more of a concrete uh, context here. So I have a metric in the weekly stat explorer that's called utility. That's more or less summing up how useful a a player was to his owners. And it looks at a couple of things uh, in particular, weekly finishes in the top 12 weekly finishes, the top 24 weekly finishes in the top 36. And then um, your points per game in a season rolls them up over denominator and then normalizes to a score that's based on a hundred. Right now, Thielen was at 91. The next closest wide receiver was Michael Thomas. That's at a 75. So that's a huge disparity that you normally don't see even amongst the top players at a position. So Thielen has just been ridiculous. And from the schedule, it looks like he is not going to slow down. Yeah. So entered this week averaging 118.7 yards per game. And then, uh, you know, just went over 100 again. It's just, it's an unreal situation. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. And the, the thing too is Diggs has been good, but Thielen has been so much better that you even like are starting to lose sight of, of, of Diggs, which is something I don't think many people expected coming into the season. Oh, definitely, oh, definitely not. not. I, did. I didn't. Yeah. All right. The other game that I think from a fantasy perspective might be the second most interesting will be Cincinnati facing Tampa Bay on Sunday at one. Um, but obviously this week, you know, nothing is even going to touch that Minnesota New Orleans game, which brings us to the tough call of the week. And I'm actually going to have my brother coming live on the show right now oh as we didn't have time naturally because we're kind of impromptu recording on Sunday to get a good question. So this is my brother, Mike. He's going to ask his question. Uh, I told him that, that he could get an answer from a true professional expert as I have been leading him astray as of late. So Mike. Okay. This is, this is sad. If, if I'm like the, the standard for true professional expert, it's no wonder that your brother is getting like horrible fantasy advice. <laughs> no, I'm excited to be here. I've been listening to the to the rest of the podcast. So you guys are, are on it. So I'm impressed. Actually that Herndon pick, I was just looking at tight ends and was thinking about picking him up. So maybe I'll be doing that, but a couple questions. So actually maybe I can get two questions in. We'll see. So I'm looking ahead to next week. This first one might be in, I know it's in my brother's wheelhouse, but I need to start two running backs. Luckily I have Todd Gurley. I was the second pick. The first person took Le'Veon Bell. So everything worked out in my favor there. Um, but need to start another running back. I basically don't have any. Um, so I have Lamar Miller, but he's playing on Thursday night against Miami. And then I have uh, Peyton Barber, who you guys have been speaking about during the pod. And I have Chris Thompson, who's kind of banged up right now. So I'm not sure if I just rolled the dice and start Lamar Miller Thursday night, although Dave has given me tons of stats that show never play a running back on Thursday night. So I don't know what to do. That's a good question. Um yeah, so I think I would probably go with with Barber in that um, he's like he's getting the touches and the the Bengals run defense uh, isn't all that great. Like I, I think the Bengals are exploitable, and I would imagine that is going to be a pretty high scoring game. Um, so I would probably go there. But like, uh, yeah, so I, I I get Dave's point about um, the Thursday night football, and especially for like a physical position like running back, it's just like it's a grind to go from, uh, you know, like Sunday to Thursday. Um, but I mean, I don't know Texans at home. They're favored by seven. 
like home favorites. Like that's sort of like the smash spot for running backs. And this means nothing, but I like mentioning it. And he has like the hashtag revenge game narrative going against his former team in the Dolphins. So, so like, I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't be scared of Lamar Miller, but uh, I would still probably go with Peyton Barber. Well, as we're watching Sunday night football, Kareem Hunt's kind of been gashing Cincinnati. So he's got two yeah. touchdowns. I think they both might be on catches, but either way, yeah, we'll go with Peyton Barber. Yeah. Um, that revenge game, actually, that's maybe the only narrative in all of sports that I buy into. <laughs> it's funny. I don't really buy into it, but I love mentioning it. <laughs> uh, and at some point, we will talk about the stats on the Thursday night games, because uh, that was a study I did at one point and then never published my findings, which were actually fairly interesting. All right, Mike, you had another question. Sure. You want you want to do one more, guys? Okay. Yeah. So wide receiver. I also you, you happen to be... You don't need to yell. Sorry. I also we, have... we heard the baby upstairs waking up. He's very loud. <laughs> I also happen to be short at wide receiver, so I need to start three wideouts. I have five that I feel are pretty similar, so I know you, you probably hate these questions. Start three out of five, sit two, but we'll try it anyway. So we have Gordon and Edelman on the Pats, Galladay, John Brown, who had a pretty big day today, and Will Fuller. So I have to start three out of those five next week. Uh, that's, that's, uh, there's no, there's no slam dunk, I feel like. That's the problem. Maybe Galladay, okay. I don't know. Um, I'm okay with uh, Galladay going against the Seahawks. Um, Patriots on the road in Buffalo, I think is, I'm, I mean, okay, so I think it's tough in that, like, um, I don't know. I don't like the Patriots, and, it, like, we're on the cusp of the second half of the season. I don't like the Patriots playing on the road in division, uh, like, you know, in the second half of the season. And the Bills have a, a pretty respectable pass defense. Um, but at the same time, like the Patriots are like, like the line that I'm seeing here is like, they're favored by 13. Like they will probably have one of the highest implied team totals on the slate and you want players on teams like that. So, uh, you know, and, and then like Edelman gets so much usage. Gordon is really becoming a key part of that offense. I think it's kind of hard not to start them. Um, so I think I would probably be good with those two. And then Galladay Brown was the other one you mentioned. And then who was, was Fuller, the Fuller and Brown? And let me mention one other thing to muddy the waters. It's a non PPR league standard league. Mm, okay. okay. All right. So that changes stuff. Um, yeah. So in that case, like Brown becomes a little more interesting. Um, he's, I think clearly the number one guy for the Ravens. Um, I, I believe that he leads the league in uh, deep passes per game. Uh, and I'm not really scared of uh, the Panthers secondary. So I, I think it's a, a decent situation for Brown. And sorry, one more time. You said Fuller was the the fifth guy. I can't start. No, Fuller, like ever since he's come back from like the hamstring injury, he's basically been like a, a glorified uh, like decoy deep threat. So like I, I, I don't know. I can't start him until like he, he starts putting better production. Right. It's on the Thursday team. nighter also and he's kind of banged yeah. up. So we can't expect him to do that much probably. Yeah, so I would probably go with Gordon and, and non PPR. I think I'd go with Gordon, uh, with Galladay, and with Brown. That's who I had in there, my man. <laughs> so there you go. Very good. Thank you. That sounds great. Yeah. Hey, impressive job, guys. I'm. Oh, this, is, this has been thanks. this is great. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks for stepping in, Mike. Yeah. So moving, <laughs> moving into the bonus round, the Carlos Hyde Nick Chubb trade, probably the biggest move that we've seen since I don't even remember when it was in the summer. As a huge Nick Chubb fan, I really like this move for the Browns. I like it for Chubb. We already saw him coming out having a solid game today to start things off. The view for the rest of the season for Chubb, I'm assuming you think is pretty positive, but talk about him and then and then tell us what you think of that move for Hyde, stepping into that role in Jacksonville. Granted, they still have TJ Yeldon, who... Um, though hasn't been completely healthy this season, has had some good games, so there is some competition there. Doesn't look like Fournette's coming back anytime soon, though. Yeah, so Chubb, uh, I tweeted something earlier in the day. Like At one point, he had 10, uh, 10 yards on seven carries, and I was saying that he was playing the Carlos Hyde role to perfection, uh, which he, uh, fortunately for, for him... Um, <laughs> And, and for the, the people who really like Chubb, um, he played much better um, after that. Uh, I, I mean, I liked him. I thought he was, um, I think I had him ranked number three 
in in dynasty um, for rookies. So yeah, it's I think he's in a, a good situation uh, in that like now he's clearly going to be the guy. Um, I think you start him the way you probably would have been starting Carlos Hyde, uh, except just you know probably better, like because he's going to be more efficient. Yeah, so good stat um, on Chubb, and I haven't adjusted for the game today, but heading into this game, he had 16 carries, and he had two rushes that were for more than 40 yards. Carlos Hyde, I want to say, had like 114, and only had one carry that had gone over 20. Now, we did see some signs in college of Chubb being an explosive type of player, obviously one of the best uh, rookie SEC seasons in recent memory. So all the things are aligning. And Sean Siegel had been mentioning on the Overtime podcast that Chubb could be a league winner, and now it's very clearly looking like that's a very distinct possibility. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing that um, was the big knock on him is that uh, he's not a pass catcher, and we saw that he had two targets, no receptions. Um, In college, you know, had almost no usage as a receiver. So he basically is still like Carlos Hyde, who really didn't offer much in the passing game but he's just a better version of Hyde. So, you know, like whatever that was, uh, that's pretty decent considering that entering this week, Hyde was still, I think, like in the the top five in the league for uh, carries inside the five-yard line. Like all of that is transferring directly over to Nick Chubb. Absolutely. So that's Chubb. Hyde now. Um, oh, it's, a, it's a death sentence. <laughs> this It's a bad situation. Yeah. Um, cause they're expecting Fournette to come back after the bye week for them. Um, so he's going to be integrated into the offense this next week, but I don't think it's even going to be a situation where like right away he's getting 20 carries. Like he's still going to be splitting a lot of work with Yeldon. Uh, and Yeldon is the superior pass catcher of the two. And I think like that's going to be important for that team. So, uh, I don't know. Like, I think at most he's going to be someone who's getting like 10 to 12, uh, touches. And then that's in like a non Fournette scenario when Fournette comes back, like maybe they will, uh, give Hyde more carries just to try to keep Fournette healthy for a playoff run, which, um, like that makes sense. But then that like damages Fournette and it doesn't really do much to resuscitate Hyde's value. So like whatever, Whatever you were getting out of Hyde, like, that's it. You know, like, he's done. You can't trade him. No one wants him. And you're not going to get uh, moving forward what you had out of him. So you just kind of have to hold him and hope that Fournette never comes back or, like, gets injured again. And then hope that Hyde is dominant enough in his uh, his backfield split uh, with Yeldon to be able to get uh, enough touches and enough goal line touches to, uh, to to be startable. But I don't see that happening. Two things. My first thought was when I read this, Hyde now basically has a ceiling of 12 points a game. Um, So if you're a Hyde owner, yeah, this is a huge blow. The second thing was you said you have to hope that a player gets injured. I'm already waiting now for the next time that I check out the reviews on iTunes. Somebody's saying that they can't listen to us anymore, that we're classless, that we're rooting for injuries. Yeah, I mean, is that has anyone said that before? Yeah, that's actually popped up a couple of times, and that's been a thing on the message boards before. We're not actively rooting for players to get injured. We recognize that they happen. They're a part of the game. You can escape. Yeah. If it's going to happen, maybe it can work out for you. Um, but moving along from that, the Browns, what is with all of these overtime games? How crazy is it? Four <laughs> overtime games so far. This is an organization. They just cannot seem to get over this hump. Yeah, when uh, you have a team that has a lot of talent and is coached down to uh, its opponent each week, I think overtime becomes something that is much more likely. Um, you know, like I think you have a a classic coach who is like playing not to lose, and I think that maybe yields uh, more overtime games. So, like, I don't think this is something that like is projectable moving forward. But like, uh, I don't know, I would say like a team going into overtime a lot feels like a very Browns thing. Yeah, it does. Although I do feel like you look at some of the close losses that they've had in recent years. They had some very close losses last season. They have the overtime games now. I feel like at some point this has to flip and we will see a good season from the Browns, probably better than one would expect. 
Oh yeah, I think it flips. I think it flips at some point because of the talent on the team. But I think it has to come with a new coach. Mm. Yeah, well, hopefully that happens sooner rather than later because there are some very interesting pieces there from a fantasy perspective that I'm hoping we get to talk about more. Now, the final thing before we get out of here for the night, and this does actually relate to coaching, Tennessee in the London game decides that they are going to go for two instead of kicking the extra point to bring it in to overtime. I didn't actually see this develop I don't know if you did, but what are your thoughts in that situation? And have you heard anybody talking from an, an analytical standpoint at this point, um, if that was the right decision? Um, I think I've seen, sorry, I haven't seen people talking directly about this, but uh, I think it was clearly the right analytical decision um, because over time, um, you don't really know what's going So, all right, so here's the situation. Um, if you are kind of assuming, if you're the coach and you're assuming that you probably have the inferior team, right? Um, that will present itself more in overtime than it will in the one play where you have the ball on the two yard line and you need to get two yards. So I think it makes sense to play for the win in that scenario than to play for the tie and hope that as the inferior team over a 10 minute stretch, you can beat the better team. So I think it was the right, uh, like strategically, like I think it was the right play. And then also just in terms of like percentages, um, I think they have a decent chance of being able to convert um, versus being able to uh, actually like get a field goal or get a touchdown when they need it in overtime. So yeah, I think it was, it was the right call. It didn't go against them, but um, I mean, sorry, it didn't go for them, but I I think it was the right call. Yeah. So I actually had these same thoughts as you for, for many of the reasons. You look at the percentage on that play versus your percentage of any of those other possibilities that could win you the game coming to fruition. I feel like you're better off there. And I do think that overtime lends itself much more uh, favorably to the team that is the better team. But it was interesting because I was at my niece's soccer game and some guy overheard my, my brother and I just catching up when we had like the first opportunity about the game today. And the guy was just talking about how it was such an idiotic decision and whatnot. And uh, my initial reaction to be like, well, actually, if we look at the probability, da, 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 but I, I decided not to get into that. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not even worth it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it had me thinking. So I was like, I got to, yeah, because like, yeah, like in a best case scenario, like, like, okay, so like, you have to think of like, what is, and it's like almost like a, a, a microcosm of like Twitter. Like, what is the function of having certain conversations on Twitter? Like, I just don't see the upside in it because like, the odds of it being taken well aren't all that high and the odds of it being taken poorly uh, and then like the negative expected value of that, like that's pretty high. Cause like, like, like he might think that um, you're like someone who's like talking down to him and then he might beat you up, you know, <laughs> instead of just thinking that it's like, Oh, this, this guy thinks he knows stuff, whatever. I'm not going to talk with him anymore. Like, you know, so there's so much risk that I just don't even see the benefit of it, which like, I don't know. I, I might sound like neurotic, but this is why I just don't talk to people. <laughs> like I don't, I don't see the upside in talking. To right. That, that really fits into me too. And I'm more or less like a, a passive type of person. Um, so it's like, I could be talking to somebody that knows absolutely zero about football, uh, or fantasy football or anything. And I'll just let them talk to me like they're the expert and and just go with it. Um, yeah, yeah. here's an interesting question for you, Matt, completely unrelated to football. You're at a restaurant, they bring you something that isn't that great or they screw up your order. Do you say anything or do you just, just gladly eat it? Uh, it really depends on the restaurant and on what the order is. So if it's, for instance, like if it's them overcooking or undercooking something, then, um, then yeah, I think you, you say something because like, that's sort of like a technical thing. Like they, they screwed up on the like technique of what they were doing. But if it's like you just ordered a bad meal and they made it the way that they make it, um, and it's, you don't like it, but like, whatever, that's what it is then I don't think you say anything because maybe it's like, maybe they actually made it the way it should be made. You just don't like whatever meal it was that you ordered. You know what I mean? 
So if, if there's something that's sort of like, like verifiably wrong and sort of like the technique of what they were doing, then I think it's fine to say something. And like, I, I probably would in that situation, but if it's just like, you know what, like I took an, I took a risk in ordering this thing. I wasn't sure if I would like it. I didn't like it. Uh, I'm not going to order it again. I, I, you know, that, that's just something that I feel like is on me. That is a, a very reasonable, well thought out answer. I like it, and I, I really like how you pose it in the the technical aspect. Because yeah, I probably unless it was completely egregious, like they brought me just like a completely uncooked piece of meat or fish or something like that, I'm probably just going to go with it, even if it's the wrong order. But it's still okay. I'll probably eat it. But I think those are good terms that you put into it with the technical. And yes, I think too often I see people taking risks or ordering things that have maybe one ingredient they're not a huge fan of, and then determining that they don't like it, and that drives me nuts, uh, especially if I'm with somebody. And they order something that's clearly a questionable item for them, and then they don't like it. But we have yeah, digressed yeah. enough, unless you have another look, thought look, on that. Well, well, no, I, I have more on this. It makes me it makes me think of the Seinfeld where Jerry's like, fruit's a gamble. I know that going in. Like, you know, just that that's how I feel about basically like ordering in restaurants. Like, it's, it's a gamble. Uh, you might not like what you order. Like, if that happens, you just don't order it again. Yep. So my sister one time, we were at dinner. For dessert, she ordered apple crisps. She took a couple of pieces, like a couple of bites and determined that she didn't like it. And I said, what's wrong with it? And she said, well, I don't really like apples. <laughs> so her reasoning was well. that she liked the crispy stuff that they put on top and like melted caramel was with it. But I was uh-huh. just like, see, this is the problem. Who does that? Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, yeah. some people they would order, decide they don't like it and they'd get all upset. But like, yeah, you're taking the risk. It's a risk. Yeah, I mean, if you if you don't like something... And you order a meal where the primary ingredient is something you don't like. That's one hundred percent on. Oh you. yeah, absolutely. I think she yeah. realized her error too after. Um, right. But anyway, we have really uh, gotten off track here. But it's fine because at least we made it to the end of the, uh, the end of the show tonight. Before we, I, did th- I think that was the most valuable thing we talked about on the show. <laughs> That's something that people can apply every you know every time they go out to to eat. So I think that was that's really good life advice that we just gave. Yes, I'm looking forward to perhaps at some point we can go through an episode where where we get more of this in than perhaps listeners would like. But eh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. All right. So on that note, um, next week I will be back into the uh, recording studio, if you will. Um, we'll have the drops, better audio, and all of that. But in the meantime, that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow on at Matt F. The Oracle, or you can follow at Matt F. The, wow, at Matt F. The Oracle on Twitter. Don't forget to call into 978-925-7628 and give us your tough calls of the week. This has been RotoViz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.